Mean Carl spent his whole life luring young boys in, and he would go to gruesomely murder at least 28 of them. He even lured two almost victims to serve as his accomplices. They would capture the boys and bring them to Dean to torture. Dean was never suspected by the police for being such a prolific serial killer in the 1970s. If his own accomplice did not stop him, one could only imagine how many lives he would have taken. This episode encourages extreme viewer discretion as it contains assault to a minor, torture, kidnapping, and grooming. Welcome to An Easy, a podcast hosted by Lexi and Cecilia. This podcast is a collection of research based on haunting and mysterious events that will leave you feeling genuinely uneasy. Discretion is advised. Dean Arnold Carroll was born on December 24, 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana to Mary Robinson and Arnold Carroll. He was the oldest of two sons of them. And Mary Robinson is actually how we know most information about Dean from his early childhood. She provided testimony about his life through interviews and other means. But a lot of what she said is unknown if it's fully factual or not. Because until she died, she thought that Dean was innocent his whole life. Dean's dad was known to be really strict, while his mom said that he was, she was the exact opposite. She was overly protective of Dean, and the different parenting styles caused the couple to actually get divorced when Dean was just five. His mom moved the family to Memphis, Tennessee, and at the same time as the divorce, his dad ended up being drafted into the Air Force. So Dean was actually a really shy boy in school. He had moved when he was five. And at the age of seven, he actually suffered an undiagnosed case of rheumatic fever, which was not recognized from doctors until he had a heart murmur at age 11. So just like showing he was pretty sickly as a kid. And that affected his like social ability because he was constantly home trying to get well. For sure. And at that time, it's not really the same medical care at all as what we have today so um he probably definitely was at home pretty much his entire childhood at that point yeah and this is right after world war ii so there's also like a lot of attention that's still being focused around aftermath of the war and we're going into the cold war now so then in 1950 dean's parents actually attempted to reconcile and they remarried in the 50s so they tried giving another shot they had like talked on and off while his father was drafted but they officially got remarried in the 50s and this moved the family to Pasadena Texas which is a suburb of Houston however the remarriage did not last very long it only lasted three years and in 1953 the couple was divorced again Wow, that's got to be so hard, like, the back and forth on the children, like, oh, like, my parents are together, now they're not, now they're together again, now they're not, um, they're not at an age of emotional maturity to understand that yet. Yeah, especially with, like, the the father, like, being gone for the military, like, it probably comes across as them as, oh, whenever my parents are getting divorced, now my father has to leave as well. But luckily with this divorce, the boys did remain in contact with their father and the mother kept custody of the sons. So Dean's mom did remarry just shortly after her second divorce with Dean's father 
she married a traveling salesman named Jake West. And then the family moved into a small town in southeast Texas, not far from where they were living with their father. So Mary, Dean's mom, and Jake West had a daughter in 1955 named Joyce Jeannie. And there's a huge age gap between Joyce and Dean. When Joyce was born, Dean was already 15. So that just shows like how significant of an age gap there was. So Mary and Jake were just living like a normal life at the time. Jake, again, was a traveling salesman. And Mary was a stay-at-home mom. And then one day, the family's life completely changed a door salesman came to the house and while he was trying to pitch Mary something, he mentioned to her that she should open up a bakery or a candy shop because she had like desserts out in her house. And of course this was just him trying to like sell his idea and butter her up. But right. Mary really took this to heart. She oh, goodness. told Jake that she wanted to open up a candy shop and then later that week, they went to a nearby factory and purchased a pecan pie recipe. And then they opened up a candy company out of their garage. So she was wow. like really, she really like ran yeah. with that. Um, and then since Dean wasn't really like able to make friends at school, he took a lot of passion in this candy shop. And he would go there straight after school every day and just work the whole time the shop was open he was actually like the primary like caretaker of this shop when he was just 15 so he's not even like he's not even that old yet to be taking care of this business essentially for his mom it wasn't that the family asked him to it's just like this was the only thing that he really cared about so this is like what he found so much interest in so the family was just like okay whatever um so they would make the candies in the family's garage and then dean's stepfather jake would then sell the candies on his sales rep as a traveling salesman so then in 1958 dean graduated high school um in high school he was again just a well-behaved kid he got decent grades not very social because he was spending most of the time in the shop and he did have a couple casual relationships with girls but Nothing ever went far. So he was just chilling. Yeah. Okay. So then after he graduated high school, the family actually moved closer to Houston because the family's candy company was that successful. The company was called Pecan Prince, which was an homage to the recipe that they had originally purchased when they started their company. So Dean then took on like almost like a lot more control over the pecan prince candy shop after he graduated high school and that was his primary job that he had but him and his stepdad were not getting along so his stepdad actually sent him away from the family to live with his grandmother in indiana i just think it's so weird that like he was helping so much with business and then he was just like oh we're not getting along bye which at this point in time he's like graduated from high school he doesn't necessarily have to live with you, but you had to send him all the way to Indiana. That just seemed excessive. It is pretty excessive for just such a... Like, I think the stepdad cared more about the relationships that he was having with the family than the actual success of the candy shop because Dean was, again, the one that was making most of the candies 
and his stepdad was more just a salesman for it. Right. So to loot. Which I can see that side too of like, listen, families like forever, this business doesn't need to be the reason that you're, I don't know, being rude to me or making this an issue. Yeah. So I think it was his like stepdad's way of just trying to get him out just to mend the relationship with, because again, Dean's mom took Dean's side and just about everything. So for his stepdad to send Dean away, then I think it also allowed a little bit of time for his stepdad and his mom to focus on their relationship. And Dean actually found a relationship of his own while he was in Indiana. He started dating a female, which was really surprising, which was surprising because he had never had like a real relationship with a female before. And then the female actually proposed to him. Oh, breaking gender norms. I love, love it. it. But Dean said no. Oh, so poor that ended that. Um, <laughs> And then just two years after living in Indiana, in 1962, Dean's mom asked him to move back to Houston. His mom and his stepdad were in a really rocky situation, and she wanted to actually open up her own candy shop. Separate from the stepdad. Yes. Literally down the street from his stepdad, while they were still married, she had Dean come back home and open up a candy shop with him. It was called Carl's Candy Company, and this led them to divorce just shortly after she opened up her candy shop. So Dean lived just right above the candy shop in the apartment that sat above it, and this caused him to be fully isolated and really dependent on the people and the workers that were within that candy shop for all social interactions. He was named the vice president of the shop, so he had complete control over the staff that was there, any disciplinary actions, any feedback. Um, and Dean selected all the staff to really be high school age students, especially boys, if he could help it. That's like really creepy. Yes. And... The reason why he was interested in boys starts to emerge the same year as one of the teenage male employees actually complained to Dean's mom that Dean had made sexual advances towards him, but there was no investigation. There's no HR at this candy company. The boy was just fired for telling Dean's mom about it. Oh, I mean, this is the 60s. Let's keep that in mind. That, unfortunately, at the time, people were not as progressive in their thinking in that sense. Um, But that doesn't excuse the fact. Like, if I'm always one to believe the victim. So if he's saying that that happened to him, that's sad that he was kind of dismissed and just fired. And to reiterate, Dean's mom was very protective over him. And she thinks that he has never done wrong in his life so i just don't think like i believe like she probably thought that the employee was the problem and not dean right and she probably i mean i don't know it's not something she probably wanted getting out either yeah 
So Dean actually got drafted to the army just two years after moving back home in 1964. He kind of ended up following the same steps as his dad after his draft. He went to Louisiana, Georgia, then Texas for his stations. And he hated the military, he stated. So after 10 months of being there, he found a loophole in how to get honorably discharged. He said that his mom's shop was financially in trouble and they discharged him on a hardship discharge for his family. So he was able to leave with reaping all the benefits of being in the military, but still able to leave without any consequences. Wow. He kind of played the system. Yeah. (laughs) Dean did state, though, that the military helped him realize that he was homosexual. And he actually had his first homosexual encounter while he was in the military. And he was just in the military for a couple months. And this is really surprising because at the time, the military was a very much like don't ask, don't tell type of system. So Mm -hmm. for him to like really find himself in such like a... Not inclusive environment. Yeah, I thought was really surprising. That surprises me as well. So just months after Dean got drafted, in 1965, he does return home to work full-time in his mom's shop and try to actually fix the financial troubles that they were in. They were still competing with his stepdad. And his mom's shop did end up relocating... An opening directly beside elementary school. I don't like where that is leading up to. Dean was known to give out candy to the young kids, encouraging them to come over after school, and parents asked him to stop because they thought that that was uncomfortable and they also didn't like their little kids crossing the street. But Dean just enticed them more and more. He set up, like, things within the shop to encourage people to come over. He, like, set up games for everyone, and he kept giving them free candy. When did he jump to elementary age kids? Like, I feel like he went high school to, like, you know, fellow privates, and then he went to elementary school age kids that I'm like I think it's everything that's where did convenient that for him so obviously it's going to be the high school kids okay. applying for the jobs it's going to be the military people that he works with at the time and then now his shop that he is in 24 7 is now right beside elementary school so that's now what's convenient for him he did set up pool gotcha. tables in the back though so like while that did bring in some younger kids it's mainly the high school kids that are going to be able to play those games and middle school. So that did bring in a little bit of an older group. During this time is when Dean got the nickname the Candyman. And all of the young kids like hung out with him. Dean was often asked by female workers at the time to go out with them. But he did not really like hang out with any females. So a lot of people did assume that he was gay. One time he did say that he would go on a date with a female, but whenever Dean went to pick up the female in his van, like, think white van. No, like, he's the white, he's the white man with the candy that, like, your mom 
warns he, you about. This is all where it's like coming in. This is where this saying came. So he went oh to gosh. pick up this girl for their date. And when she opened the door, she saw that the car was filled with a bunch of young boys. Okay. Why are you going to pick up somebody for a date if you got a van full of young kids? And second of all, why, sir, do you have a van full of young kids? <laughs> like, As the candy man, he was just able to use his position in town, I guess you could say, to bring all of these kids with him. He only hung out with teenage boys. But do we, like, at this point, is he just, like, hanging out with them? Like, do we know if any foul play is actually, like, happening? So there has never been any foul play suspected. There has been people that say they've been assaulted by him. But it is important to note that at this time, he was often found digging up the floors of his family's candy shop and repatching them, like filling them in with concrete. Come on. So to me, that sounds like there potentially is a body underneath. Yes. Like to to anybody <laughs> who hears that, they'd be like, dude, why are you doing that? But nothing has been like there has been no bodies found during this time frame. So, in 1967, following the trend of only befriending young boys, he does become really close with a 12-year-old boy named David Owen Brooks. He was a sixth grader that Dean was often seen giving free candy to, and David became one of, like, Dean's really close companions and was often hanging out with him and the other teenage boys in the back of the candy shop. He went with Dean on normal, like regular trips to other parts of Texas with like groups of boys. Where are their parents? So David thought that Dean actually at the time was his closest father figure that he had because his parents were in the middle of a really messy divorce. So he could definitely play off of that. People who are struggling or don't have a great home life. So there wasn't really anybody around to probably notice that these weird trips and things were happening. While no one has said that David was groomed, it definitely comes across that way. And I personally believe it. He was his only mentor, and he gave David money whenever he needed it and supported him throughout his young adulthood, which is often the case with people that are being groomed. Over time, Dean started to push the relationship over the friendship line into the sexual one, but... David, for a long time, like, was not okay with this. And, again, just saw Dean as a very father figure to him. So, in 1968 is when Dean's world really began to crumble. The shop completely closed down due to financial troubles. And that pushed Dean away from his comfort zone, making him take a job as an electrician for a Houston electrical company. Two years after he befriended David... 
David says that that is when he started receiving cash or gifts to have sex with Dean. David would have been 14 at this age. Oh, poor thing. In September 1970, just two years after the shop closed, Dean took his first victim. This was an 18-year-old college freshman named Jeffrey Conan. And Conan was last seen hitchhiking with another student from the University of Texas, which is in Austin. And Jeffrey wanted to go to his parents' house in Houston, so a long ways away. Um, It is believed that Dean offered Jeffrey a ride home. And that's really all that's known about Jeffrey. So the hitchhiking, Dean picking up a hitchhiker is really his MO throughout his life. And it really starts with Jeffrey. So around the time of Jeffrey's murder, Jeffrey was not the first person to be assaulted by Dean, but the first one that is noted. David actually walked in on Dean engaging in sexual activities with other young men, and they were like tied up to a four-post bed. Um, Dean promised that that he was just like using them essentially. And he asked David to remain quiet and he would buy him a car for his silence. Was David like feeling kind of a sense of like, this is now like a relationship, like false kind of Stockholm syndrome in a way that that's why Dean felt like, cause that makes it sound like he had almost hurt David's feelings by being with other people. So not only it sounded like not only was he trying to reconcile that this could get him in deep trouble but also reconcile the relationship that he had with david as well david being so young at the time he is around 15 i'm sure that he did develop feelings for dean he never said that he was like infatuated with him or in love with him or anything but he stuck with him for so many years so it is really quite possible. It's kind of like all he knew. Yes. I think way. that plays the most significant part is that while David is now stunned by seeing the person he thinks of so close to him in such like a sincere manner hurting these people, I don't think he knows like how to process it or stop it because... I don't, he can't lose the only person he has. Right. He has that fear of losing his only real, like, father figure slash, now it's morphed into a little bit something more complex because he's a victim of abuse. But, yeah, that's a that's a real fear of his at this point, I'm sure. Yes. So, Dean dead by David that car. He bought him a green Chevy Cor- Corvette, which pretty nice um (laughs) and yeah (laughs) he actually told david that the boys were going to be sold into a white slavery ring that was operating in texas oh oh so these boys were not being harmed i guess you could say but they were just sex slaves oh they were just being human trafficked don't you worry yes david and then 
Dean took it one step farther by asking David to essentially partake in the sex ring and bring him as many boys as he could find over the lake. And he would give David $200 per boy. So $200 at this time is huge. It's about $1,500 today. So just to be clear, he's not actually running like a human trafficking ring. These would all be for his enjoyment, correct? Yes. He does later admit to David that he's in fact killing all the people that he brings to him. But David's already agreed to now receive these $200 per person and this is when we start to see David bring him boys. On December 13, 1970, David brings his first two boys to Dean. They're both 14 years old. One was named James Glass and the other Danny Gates. They were actually at a religious rally that was in Houston. And David brought them over to Dean's apartment at the time. The boys that were lured to David's Dean's apartment knew both David and Dean. And that was often the case for a lot of the boys because... They all kind of ran in the same circles in the Houston area. They were all young kids going to the same parties, lacking the supervision essentially that was needed. Um, And Dean was such a prominent figure in this community because he was known as a candy man and was often known to take care of these young boys. So both boys were then tied to opposite sides of Dean's four-post bed, which essentially it's a torture board and they were raped then strangled and buried in a boat shed but at this point david doesn't know that he's killing them correct no he does know um dean had admitted by this point that the two kids that david walked out on were already murdered and everyone else to come would be murdered okay but he had already agreed to Dean to help him and I think it was more of like okay well I can't let him down now I've already told him that I would help him okay so on January 30th 1971 Dean and David take their first boys together they take two teenage brothers Donald and Jerry Waldrop they were enticed into Dean's van and drove into Dean's apartment. They were raped, strangled, and buried in the boat shed. Oh. That's just so awful. I just never saw it coming. Just picked up and gone. That's awful. Not a lot of people had cars at this time, like especially not high school kids. So... Dean took advantage of so many young kids hitchhiking and just asking for rides and using his power to overtake them. That's how he got most of his victims. This shows again on March 9th when the duo then abducted a 15-year-old boy named Randall Harvey. Same thing happened to him, and he was, again, buried in the boat shed. On May 29th, 1971, the duo took two more lives, a 13-year-old boy, David Hilgist, and a 16-year-old, Gregory. 
Mallory Winkle. They were also buried in the boat shed. And this boat shed is being rented to them, so it's not even their property, to note. Oh, so they're just dumping bodies at a rental? Like, imagine having to find that. Yeah, Dean, like, that is not in your, like, lease agreement. Um, No, (laughs) it's not in your lease agreement, Sarah. Yeah, so it was in Dean's name the whole time, like, his rental, but it did not belong to him. And in August 17th, 1971, the duo met up with a 17-year-old boy. He was actually friends with David. His name was Reuben Wallace. And David persuaded him to come to a party at Dean's since Dean had just moved. And Reuben agreed to it. David was known to throw parties that had a lot of drugs and alcohol there. So boys were often encouraged to go to Dean's parties. However, there was not a party that night and Reuben was then strangled and buried in the boat shed. September 1971, Dean then again moved to another apartment and there were two victims that were known at this apartment, but their names are not known. They have not been identified to this day. Except for David did admit to torturing one of them for four days before they were murdered. Oh my gosh. That, like, goes a step beyond because previously he hadn't really been... I mean, four days of torture is a lot different than, like, initially capturing and torturing and then killing. That takes a lot of control. And it takes a lot of, like, planning, like, how to prolong that for four days. This is the longest torture that we know any of the victims have faced. So it's unknown if... The victim ended up saying something or doing something that enticed Dean. He is shown to have a very short temper, so that could have caused him to act in incredible malice against this victim. But it is very surprising because it's not his MO to torture someone for that long. So following the move to Dean's new apartment, he met... And Elmer Wayne Henley. David was actually the one that introduced the two. And originally he was just supposed to be another victim of Dean's. But Dean offered him the exact same deal to bring him boys that he offered David. So he told Elmer that it was just going to be $200 a piece. And they were going to be a part of the sex ring that was in Dallas, supposedly. So for several months, Elmer did not agree to this. He ignored the persistent offers from Dean. Um, but he did stay in contact with Dean. And then as he stayed in contact, he was hanging out with him a lot and David. And he gradually began to view David, Dean, as something of a brother-type figure to him. Someone that he would could find in. I don't like that he didn't go to the cops after he was offered to be a part of this like sex human trafficking ring that we know is fake right but I I'm a little put off that he didn't go to the cops after he turned it down that kind of tells me all I need to know about old Elmer Elmer was a boy at the time he young Elmer that tells me all I need to know (laughs) I think he was just 12 years old at the time so 
he definitely was manipulated himself, even though he didn't go to the cops right away. Um, But in 1972, he ended up agreeing to actually help Dean with his little sex ring because his family was in a really, really bad position. They needed money incredibly bad. So he thought that $200 could help his family out. Why do I feel bad about talking bad about Alma not going to the cops? Like, that makes me feel so bad. Like, it's awful that he was manipulated in that way. Like, one side of me is, like, go to the cops, and the other side of me is, like, oh, my gosh, you need $200? Like, that's so sad that you would do that for that amount of money, and you're in that position. Well, at the time, $200 was still a significant amount. It was, again, about $1,500, but... Elmer was another person that I do believe was groomed by Dean. He took advantage of the situation that he had with his family. His family was constantly working and in a really bad place. And then Dean took advantage of that and tried to become a quote-unquote brother-like figure to him. So... In February, so February, early March 1972, the dates are unknown. They, Dean and Elmer pick up their first boy together. He's lured into Dean's home with the promise of smoking some marijuana with the pair. So to get the boy into the position that they wanted them to, Dean and Elmer had actually come up with a ruse they, Elmer was going to cuff his hands behind his back and act like he could get his handcuffs undone super quickly. And then he was going to have the boy try it out. But the boy wouldn't know that Elmer actually had keys that he had had in his hand the whole time. Mm. So the boy would then be handcuffed without any physical manipulation needed. And then they would be able to do with him as they wanted so after the boy was then handcuffed, Dean binded and gagged him. And then Elmer left thinking that Dean was just going to sell him into the sex ring after he was done with his thing. But of course, we know that's not true. And Dean ended up killing him. The identity of this boy is unknown to this day and his whereabouts. So then in March 24th, 1972, Elmer was part of his second kidnapping of an individual. He was with David and Dean, and they encountered an 18-year-old that Elmer actually knew named Frank Argy. So Frank was leaving work at a restaurant that him and Elmer worked at, and Elmer invited him to come over to Dean's for to drink some beers and smoke some weed. Um, Frank did agree, and he followed them to Dean's house. Inside Dean's house, he did smoke weed with the trio, and then the same trick was then played on Frank. Elmer was talking to Dean after Frank had handcuffs on. He was asking him about the sex trade, and Dean was like, I lied to you. Like We are not actually selling him to the sex trade. Like, I'm going to kill this kid. Oh. And Elmer was just like, oh, okay. Like, I guess I'll help you. 
Yeah, because I mean, at that point, what are you supposed to do? I guess nothing. You're so far. You're Angel. now entangled in. Yeah, you're so far in into two murders, and one of them is now someone like you're closely associated with. Like, if Dean's going down, you're now going down with him. So. Dean let him know that his first victim was in fact raped, tortured, and killed, and Frank would experience the same fate. And Elmer actually helped Dean and David bury the body, and then become a very active participant in the next killings. So that so Frank's killing though did cause a lot of attention. He came from a loving family which was a lot different than the other kids that the trio had met and he was actually engaged to his high school girlfriend so he was supposed to go over to his high school girlfriend's house and he didn't show up that night so everyone was incredibly worried about him that makes me sad i know it's really sad um but everyone's incredibly worried about him and the police were called but just no one really investigated it and that led dean to be able to kill for so much longer which on April 20th, the trio abducted another person named Mark Scott, 17 year old. He was a friend of David and Elmer's. They grabbed him by force and restrained him. Um, Mark did fight back. He even tried stabbing them, but he was unsuccessful and he experienced the same fate as Frank and everyone else. He was raped, tortured, strangled, and then buried. But this time he was buried at a beach. I'm just so amazed that nobody has put together the fact that over the years slash months, the people that are going missing are always connected to at least either David and then when Elmer enters the picture, connected to Elmer. But you would think that somebody would be mapping these, but then again, it is the 70s. So I'm like... It is the 70s, and there's so many people running away at this time. There's so many young boys that are gay, and people don't want to associate with them because it's like the whole AIDS epidemic. This is going on for multiple years at this point. I've gone through multiple years of murders, all connected to these people. And the Candyman has never once been investigated. The Candyman and his white van. Right. Well, if you think, I think we've talked about this previously, but if you think about, when I think about serial killers, I think about the 70s. So just like the fact that there was, there was just so much going on at that time. And there was so, we've talked about so many killers already that were operating within the 70s already on the podcast. So there's just so much going on that I honestly think, of course, police did not have the capabilities that they do today, but they, I just don't think they could keep up with everything. I think what's most surprising about this type of area is he, the Dean wasn't like, there was no nickname for him as being a serial killer. Like we've heard so many other nicknames for serial killers given to them before they were found. But no one ever suspected that there was actually, like, a mass murderer in the Houston area. Like, in the subdivisions of Houston, murdering these young boys. 
It just seems like they weren't really linking it together at all. Not at all. And all the kids, all the young boys that were being murdered were between like 20 and 10. So it's a very close young boy demographic, but nothing's being connected. And nothing, what's even surprising is nothing ever was. And to add to the list between April and June, two boys, Billy Blotch and Johnny Dellum, were abducted and killed. Both were tied to Dean's torture table and they were raped. Um, But this is when we really start to see Elmer taking his form as a killer. He strangled Billy Birch and then shouted at Johnny Dellum and then shot him in the forehead. The bullet ended up exiting through his Johnny's ear and Johnny was still able to talk after this, pleading with Elmer to let him go. And Elmer did not let that happen. He ended up strangling him, making the others watch. Both boys were then buried at the beach, the same as Mark Scott. Wow. He really, like, went all in. He developed an MO of his own in that own killing right there. And Dean is usually the one that was seen torturing the boys so for elmer to really take shape in this i think he's definitely getting comfortable with what dean is doing and almost like shadowing him Uh, just a little while after the trio lured a 19 year old named william rodner to the house he was tied to the board again raped and abused this time by dean um but what's interesting is that david actually claims he persuaded Dean to let William go. William did not say anything, but he was apparently allowed to leave Dean's apartment. What? They're never allowed to leave. Why? William's story has not been confirmed. So, again, at the time, like, people did just go missing. So it's unsure if this was actually the case, if William was a real person. But... David claims that he was turning at this point into not really wanting to participate anymore. This was the last killing at Dean's apartment at the time. He ended up moving again in June 26, 1972. At his new place, he killed two more boys. One on July 19th, which was a 17-year-old named Stephen Sickman. He was actually bludgeoned to death and strangled which was a little bit different mo than the other killings but back to the same burial ground at the boat shed and then on august 21st a 19 year old named roy burton was abducted he was gagged then shot twice in the head and then buried the boat shed once again that's different yes so now we have three people that are killing and now one part of the killing is the same but the other factors are a little bit different each time yeah and it's just getting kind of messy like it's just like there's a lot of players now that I feel like are in it for different reasons and they're 
they already racked up a lot of victims and i don't even know if we're done yet we are not done yet not even close on october 2nd 1972 we have two more victims uh wally j simnix and uh, richard hembry they were walking home and the boys were then offered a ride home the same hitchhiking story that we've heard before um they actually ended up though fighting for their lives at this point when they got to dean's house wally got to the phone and tried calling his mom he shouted for his mom on the phone one time before the phone was hung up and wally was strangled to death and oh my gosh that breaks my heart yeah so his mom like the receiving end dead here him shot his mom's name one time which is just incredibly sad to hear those last words from your son knowing something's happening to him and richard actually shot elmer in the mouth but elmer ended up being okay there's no doctor's reports of him going to the hospital for this so it must have been sewn up at david's house Uh, really unclear just grazed yeah yeah but it was this is really the first pair that fought them off like that though or that we know of there's been there's been another person that tried stabbing them but this pair really fought back with all that they had um it's really sad that they were not able to escape again they were both strangled to death and they were buried in the boat shed above the bodies of other individuals so at the same time we have an 18 year old william branch that was hitchhiking and disappeared and he was known to be acquaintances of dean and elmer the likelihood of him being offered a ride home is very likely um and he was actually gagged and emasculated which is brand new to the group yeah but following the same burial he was found in the boat shed as well with other bodies so almost if these bodies were bare, like scattered in different places, almost wouldn't be able to tie them all together. Because- so, oh yeah, if you were to look at victims and you're trying to make a profile and you know approach it in that way, kind of from working backwards, it would be really hard to piece together because one person shot, one person strangled, another one has blunt force trauma. You know, it's so many different ways that an autopsy would say that they had died the only thing that would really connect them would be that they were assaulted but that can happen in a number of cases and doesn't necessarily link all of those together yeah on november 15th just a month after three boys were killed a 19-year-old was taken named Richard Kepner on his whip-on booth. Um, he was strangled and then also buried at Highland Island Beach, which is the same beach that other people were buried at. So they were kind of placing the bodies in just a few spots. 
Okay. On January 20th, 1973, Dean does move again. And by the first week of February, so just weeks after he moved, he does kill his first person, a 17-year-old named Joseph Lyles. Um, he was, again, known by multiple of the killers. He was known by Dean and David. And he actually lived on the same street as David's family. So then by March 7th, Dean moves again. So he does not stay in one place very long. No. He has moved at least six times by this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> he essentially living out of a box. But there's actually no deaths known from when he moves around March 7th until June 4th. So... Dean had a medical illness at this time. He essentially had fluid around in his groin area. So he was okay. unable to perform like assaults on kids at the time. Mm. So he's like, let me hang it up until June till I get better. Yeah. That's just evil and disgusting. I don't like this candy man at all. <laughs> no candy for you, huh? Um, no. During this time, the trio like spent a little bit of time apart from each other, and David actually got a girlfriend. So. Okay. So David is now spending a lot more time with his girlfriend than the other two. But in June, Dean... It gets better, and he wants to make up for his months of no killing. And Elmer even describes it as Dean had like a really bloodlust. He was just craving blood. That's straight out of a horror movie. That is awful. What makes it even more gross is that by this time, David and Elmer instinctively knew when Dean needed, quote unquote, a new boy. Because he would appear restless. He would be smoking cigarettes and making apparently reflexive reflex movements. So his body was like going Ew. through withdrawals essentially. Ew. It's horrifying. I hate that. It's like it was is literally like his crack. Yes. He craved the sensation. Um and on June 4th, they abduct their first person since Dean is better. They abduct a 15-year-old named William Ray Lawrence. And this is where we really see Dean start to torture people again. William was tortured for three days and abused before he was strangled and then buried at the lake. And then less than two weeks later, a 20-year-old named Raymond Stanley was abducted, strangled, and buried at the lake. So on July 6th, two days after William was abducted, Elmer abducts a 15-year-old named Homer Lewis Garcia. Garcia actually was attending the same classes that Elmer was Garcia was phoning his mom that he was going to spend the night at a friend's house. He was really excited about it. And he unfortunately was not spending the night. He was shot and left to bleed to death. 
in Dean's bathtub before he was buried at the same lake as the other victims. Oh my gosh. And again, nobody is making connections to the fact that these people are connected. All of these boys that are going missing are connected to one of these three individuals, which is making me crazy that nobody has made the connection because it could have stopped so long ago and now I've lost count, literally lost count of how many people are dead at the hands of Dean and, you know, the other two boys as well. Like, I'm just thinking of those, like, red string. Yes. Like, they all point to the same people. Do a link analysis for me, please. Like, just put it all together. Um, Five days after Homer was abducted on July 6th, on July 12th, a 17-year-old named John Stellar's was shot to death by the trio and he was buried at the beach as well. So where it takes a little romantic twist is that on in July 1970, David actually remar- actually marries his girlfriend that he was with whenever Dean was sick. He got her pregnant, so he went off and married her. This caused Elmer to be the sole person that Dean was, sole person getting victims for Dean for a little bit as David was celebrating his marriage for a couple weeks. Um, So during this time, between July 19th and July 25th, Elmer abducted three boys. One of them was a 15-year-old named Michael Blanche, and he was actually the brother of a previous victim, Billy Blanche. Oh my gosh. That's so terrible. both of them were friends with Elmer. Again. (laughs) Why is nobody making the connections? Yeah. Um, So he was suffered the same fate that his brother did and he was strangled and buried at the lake. And then the other two victims were Charles Cobby and Marty Ray Jones and they were together at the time they were adopted on July 25th and they were buried at the boat shed. So on August 3rd, 1973, Dean does take another victim and David is now back in the picture. But fortunately, this is Dean's last victim, but his 28th one. Oh, thank God. Wow. We've gone through 28 victims. So insane. I told you I'd lost count. Like, hearing the number 28, like, that really, like, just hits you. Like, that is so many people. Yeah. That's more than I had in, like, a college class. Yes. This was a 13-year-old boy named Dean San Drema. He was abducted while he was riding his bike. Um, He was tied to Dean's torture bed and raped and then strangled before being buried at the boat shed. So we know that this is Dean's last victim, but four days after this, on August 7th, 1973, Elmer actually brought another person to Dean's house 
which was a 19-year-old named Timothy Courtney Curley. Um, they were going to go there and, like, smoke and just hang out. Timothy knew Dean, and he was really good friends with Elmer. So Timothy and Elmer were high on sniffing paint fumes at the house and drinking alcohol. They then left for a little bit to going to Elmer's home and promised him that they would be back. But whenever they stopped by Elmer's home, they actually picked up a 15-year-old friend of the two named Rhonda Louise Williams. She had been having a fight with her dad that night and she just wanted to go somewhere. She's heard of Dean before, as of everyone in the Houston area. And she's like, sure, like, I know he's going to have alcohol there. I know he's going to have drugs because that's what he's offered so many people before. So she asked Elmer if she could come with them, and he allowed her to. So then they got to Dean's house around 3 a.m., and Dean was hysterically mad at Elmer for him bringing Rhonda with them. Because Rhonda was a female. Mm. I have no comment on that. <laughs> um, Elmer eventually talked Dean down. And Dean gave the kids some weed and some beer. And everyone went to sleep just like two hours after they got there. Elmer then woke up to find that Dean had flipped him over and gagged him. Handcuffed him and bound his feet. Oh my gosh. They just like, he flipped a switch on Elmer, who had been helping him for years? He said that he was so mad at him and he was going to kill him since he brought a girl to the house. So he had not let go of the fact that Rhonda was there. Wow. He told Elmer that he was going to assault the other two and torture them, but kill him first. Um, he then dragged Elmer to the kitchen and placed a twenty-two on his chest, saying that he was going to kill him with that gun. And then he went back into the main room and started actually kicking Rhonda. Which just very upset that she was even there. Um, Elmer kept trying to side with Dean, saying that he would help torture the other two if Dean let them free. So Dean eventually was talked into that and did let him free. Um, He assisted Dean by cutting Rhonda's clothes, and then this was going on while Dean was actually physically assaulting and torturing Timothy. So Elmer just wasn't happy with the fact that he was assaulting Timothy. Timothy was his really good friend. So he tried taking control of the situation, and he grabbed the pistol that Dean owned. He yelled at Dean, saying he didn't want him to kill his friends, And he just asked him to stop. But Dean tried advancing towards him. So Elmer ended up shooting Dean. The bullet that he shot first lodged in Dean's skull, but did not hurt him. He continued to approach Elmer, and Elmer then shot him twice more. And this caused Dean to run out of the room, hitting the wall in the hallway, then sliding down it, and like sliding down the wall and this was just right outside where the other two teenagers were bound so Rhonda didn't really have clothes on they were cut off by Elmer Timothy had just been tortured and assaulted by 
Dean and then they see and hear Dean being shot and falling down the wall outside this room. So after being shot, Dean did die where he fell and his naked body just laid there against the wall. Wow. Elmer released the two both Timothy and Rhonda from the torture birds that they were on. All three got dressed and just kind of sat around and discussed what they should be doing next. Um, Timothy really suggested that they call the police, but Elmer just wanted them to like run away. And he said that he would handle it. Right. So it's probably likely that if Timothy didn't like ran away, then Dean would just have been another body in a boat shed. Wow. And now Elmer's kind of the only one that's like left. Elm other than David, but I mean David's kind of like married with a kid right also, now. So Elmer's kind of like, Oh my god, I I kinda know more than what, you know, Timothy and Rhonda know that we've done. And he's probably freaking out. Yeah. It took them a little bit to even call nine one one. The call didn't come in until 8.24 a.m., so fully the morning the next day on August 8, 1973. Elmer was the one that placed the call. He shouted at the operating saying, y'all better come here right now. I just killed a man. So all three of them just sat outside waiting for police to arrive, and they just said that, hey, Dean's body's in there. He's dead. So police kind of just like all of them ended up going to the police station of course but Elmer just explained that it was self-defense and then the other two testified against it so he was let off on that charge but then he explained why it was self-defense and what was going on in that situation what led to it he explained the $200 for each person that he would bring Dean to kill and just the crime that they were committing. But the police originally like didn't believe him. They thought that, oh, they were like fighting over drugs because all of them were high. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, but Elmer had to explain, look, like I know where bodies are buried. Like I will take you to them right now. Yeah. And this is what he did. He led police to all the bodies that he knew that were buried. But they were more to these bodies. These bodies were found with a lot more to them than we ever realized. And more than David and Elmer knew. Dean had sodomized most victims, tortured them. Oh my gosh. Destroyed their pubic areas, chewed off body parts in the private regions, um, even smashing objects in oh my gosh. certain areas. Oh, my gosh. Dean's torture went I'm far like shaking. Be- Dean's torture truly went that far beyond so what anyone ever imagined. Yeah, so David and Elmer had no idea that he was doing this? No. They, they knew that he was torturing oh. victims. He did not, they did not know that it went this far. That makes me sick. To take it even one step further, 
most people were found with rags in their mouths and their mouths being taped shut. But some victims were actually found with their teeth, like, being the way that their mouths were closed, showing that they actually died screaming. Oh, gosh, that is just so awful. Elmer fully cooperated during this whole investigation, explained to police how everything happened, gave every name that he could, and every account that was possible. He gave a full written statement detailing him and... David's involvement with Dean, the abductions, and the murders. And then he admitted to personally have killing nine people. David Brooks also gave a full confession after Elmer and cooperated the police. Um, On August 13th, just days after... Dean was killed and the bodies were found. A grand jury indicted Elmer on six murders and David on four. Was not charged with the death of Dean because police really did believe that it was self-defense. Elmer Wayne Henley at the time was just 18 years old. And David Owen Brooks was just 19. These two murderers were truly kids themselves, which is so sad to think about. Yeah. They were... They were babies. Yeah. They had been killing for years at this point, and that's essentially what they grew up on, which is just... So so crazy, I think. Um, they were both tried separately for their roles in the murders, and Elmer was brought to trial on July 1st, 1974. He was charged with the six murders... Between March 1972 and 1973. So not even all the murders that he committed or partake, partook in. Um, and then a month later, the judge did find him guilty and sentenced him to 99 year sentences consecutively, which is about 594 years total. David was actually only brought to trial for one murder, even though he was indicted for four. He was brought to trial for the 15-year-old murder of William Ray Lawrence. And he was found guilty of that murder on March 4th, 1975 and sentenced to life in prison. Brooks did not show any emotions during his trial. His wife was actually a lot more sympathetic to what had happened than he was. So she's probably like, what the heck? He partook in more murder and another murder after he married her. That's so crazy. Elmer is currently 66 and he's up for parole in 2025. So soon. <laughs> it is. He was up for parole previously, but they did not release him. So this is the second hearing for parole. So we'll see if he gets it. But David Brooks did die on May 28th, 2020 at 65 from COVID patients. Between 1970 and 1973, Dean is known to have killed a minimum of 28 victims. All of his victims were males aged 13 to 20, and the majority of whom were in their mid-teens. Most victims were abducted from the Houston Heights, which then was a low-income neighborhood in northwest of downtown Houston. 
and most of these abductions, he was assisted by one or both of his teenage accomplices, David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. Police are still looking for more potential bodies of Dean's. One of his old houses was dug up in 2022 to continue the search. No one may know the full extent of Dean as he has forever shaped the Houston area. Next week on Uneasy, we cover the hostage plot turned murder on one prestigious family in one of the most upscale neighborhoods in our nation's capital. But who would target this family? And more importantly, how did they pull it off? Tune in next week wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to find out how. Thank you.